All right. Well, after a many week long hiatus, here we are again, Chris. Absolutely. Back by anything but popular demand. That's exactly right. I'm sorry I killed it, man. You had like so many weeks in a row, and then I recorded it with you, and it was gone. You've served that function in my life many times. Yeah, that's exactly right. What are are friends for? Right, right. So how are you? What's going on? I'm pretty good, but I want to hear first about how you are. Really, I want to hear how your baby is. How's Ollie? Yeah, he's amazing, man. He's amazing. One month old uh, this last week and doing really well. Katie's doing well. It has just been a joy. It? You shouldn't refer to your child as an it. I mean the process. The process of having a son, of having a child has been a joy. Uh, He has been amazing and the process has been a joy. And he's, yeah, I'm so glad that you were able to meet him. He's great. You should play this recording for him and see how he responds. Let's, you know, they do the baby Einstein recordings, right? To yeah, make genius. So we're going to form him into a theologian right from the very beginning or inoculate yeah, him. I, that's it. I think that's, yeah, I'll do it if it inoculates him against it. I don't wish that on him. Absolutely. I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well. Quick health update for you and for anybody who's listening, including Ollie. I, in, same kind of pattern of random ups and downs. I, over the last couple of weeks, I've traveled and spoken quite a few times. I've had some really good days where I was able to kind of work from beginning to the end of the day with good energy and clear thought. And I've had some pretty serious setbacks. I, at this point, don't know when the medicine, the latest medicine that they're trying for me is going to be cleared. I'm still waiting for the insurance to okay it, but that should really deal with my migraines. And I think once the migraines are under control, I'll have a much clearer, I'll be able to kind of live more than moment to moment. Like right now, I'm just kind of waking up every day to see what condition my condition is in. Yeah. And trying to, say no to as many things as I can say no to, but find my way back to the things I need to be doing, writing and regular rhythms of prayer and conversation, exercise, all the things that, that need to be in my life. So I'm, I'm still pretty confident that I'll, I'll find a new normal that works, but I'm, I'm not, I've not yet, not yet found it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I've continued to pray for you. I know a lot of people are, so I, I, and I, it, we're, we're hoping that for you. It really does matter. I mean, it's easy to brush that aside or to take it as cliche, but gosh, I, I am grateful for it, for real. Very, very yeah. much so. Yeah. Well, thanks for the update. Yeah. Let's, um, Let's talk about the texts. Let's do that. And I'm, before we start that, I I just remembered that the last time, the only time we've done this, uh, we had a mutual friend who threw, threw a lot of shade my way about the recording. 
and said that I I sounded like I think he likened me to Eeyore that my responses were depressing. So I'm going to really try to bring some positivity. Sh- I'm gonna, this time. Yeah, I'm going to try to shout you down a little bit, and that'll be for Bill. That'll be that'll be his fault. All right. So just as a kind of reminder, then. Um, one of the things that the way that I think we kind of opened up last time was just by noting that these reflections aren't just for those of us who are preaching these texts from the revised common lectionary. Yes. Um, but that you had really wanted these conversations to be for any of us, whoever we are, absolutely, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, that this is kind of a way of trying to hear what God might be saying to us right now. It's a, these conversations are a table for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, with that in place, let me just kind of ask um, about, about these texts this week. Are you, are you seeing any kind of theme emerge? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, of course, there are always multiple threads, but I think the dominant color this week is the color of hospitality. And in, in all of these texts, if you look, if we just kind of start with the Old Testament reading, Genesis 18, we have an account of, of Abraham you know, kind of hiding in the shadow of his tent in the heat of the day. He sees three men standing nearby and runs to them to meet them. And this opens up a conversation with him that becomes, Christians will argue, becomes an encounter with the triune God. We'll say more about that in a moment. Then in the New Testament reading, we have Paul celebrating, hymning Jesus as the firstborn of creation, the firstborn from among the dead, the one in whom all things hold together, the one in whom the fullness of God dwells. And the emphasis there is on the ways in which he is hospitable to God, that he is a host for the divine fullness. And the ways in which he is also a host for us, right? That in him, the divine and the human are, are brought to communion. And then in the gospel reading, we have the familiar story, perhaps too familiar story of Martha and Mary and the ways in which they welcome Jesus and squabble a bit over how to welcome Jesus. So I, I think, yeah, that that's a way in which these texts are held together. The Psalm too which is Psalm 15, talks about hospitality, at least in passing ways. It talks about not heaping contempt upon the neighbor, not swearing to do right and then failing to carry through on it, not taking back your word in the language of the psalm, not giving out money in hope of gain, and not making any bribes against the innocent. All of these are, of course, acts of neighborliness, acts of kindness to strangers and care for those who show up in need near you. So I I think I think that's at least a way into these texts, this this concern with hospitality. Okay, yeah, I love it. Good. Well, then maybe let's just start with Genesis and work our way forward. Yeah, so the first thing that hits me is the way how electric Abraham is when he notices someone in need, right? So Mm. he's, you know, in his tent, it's the heat of the day. 
He's sitting at the entrance of his tent with, with a kind of attentiveness. And this is, this is a key theme for someone like Simone Weil, uh, Iris Murdoch. The, this, this notion, these are some of the names that jumped to mind for me, this notion that to be human, to really live our humanity well, is, is to, to live attentively, to live with our eyes open, our hearts open, our ears open. And Abraham is living that way, right? So it's, it's the middle of the day, it's the heat of the day, and suddenly he sees, he looks up and sees three men standing near him, and he runs to meet them and throws himself down at their feet, right? So this yeah. is, again, he's electric in this moment. And he begs them not to pass him by. He begs for them to let him wash wash their feet and for them to rest under the tree where he is, the oaks of Mamre. And to rest there while he brings bread to refresh them. And after that, he says, you can pass on. And they and they say, do as you have said. Right? So we start with, with three men who kind of accept his hospitality. And there's this funny detail where Abraham hastens into the tent. And this is, you know, a callback to the language of Abraham hastening into the, the into the tent of Hagar when Sarah tells him to have a child with their servant because mm-hmm. they she and Abraham cannot bear children. Yeah. And Abraham hearkens to Sarah and hastens yeah. into the tent. But so here he Again, he's electric. He rushes to her and urges her to, to make flour, to, to choose flour, to measure it, knead it, and make some cakes, some loaves of bread for them to eat. He runs to the herd. He takes a calf, a, a tender and good calf, the text says, gives it to the servant and urges him to prepare it quickly. Then he gets curds of milk, cheese and milk, and the calf and sets it before them. Right, So he prepares a feast and an hurriedly prepares a feast and then stands under the tree beside them while they, while they ate. And do you think that that electricity is because he recognizes who they are? Like, is is it in the recognition? Cause I don't know. That's not really clear. Yeah. The text doesn't say that he recognizes them. It just seems to be in him, right. To, to care for strangers. Mm. Right. And, and this, this theme of hospitality dominates Genesis. I mean, I, I, arguably it dominates the entire canon, but Genesis, for sure, this is one of the striking things about what happens in Sodom at, immediately after this, is that these same angels, these same these same men, yeah, are met right. with anything but hospitality. Yeah. And so I, I think we're, we're being set up for the contrast between what Abraham does in his tent or outside his tent and what lot and the others in the cities of the plains cities of the plain do mm-hmm. they're in hospitality. And so he's, I don't, I don't think he does know who they are mm-hmm. and he, this hospitality is kind of flowing up out of him. And then while, while he's waiting for them to finish the meal, he's prepared for them. They ask him, where is your wife? And he says in the tent, and then one of them says to him, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And the reading cuts off at that point for this week, right? So it, it, it we, of course, those of us who know this text, know that it moves on from here. It becomes a, a dramatic conversation between Abraham and the Lord, 
right? And leads to Abraham interceding for Sodom. But for now, the emphasis is simply on his hospitality and this promise that emerges. I will return to you and your wife shall have a son. And it's, of course, this encounter that becomes uh, such an important, even artistic rendering yeah. in the history of the church. Yeah. Um, can, can you just say a little bit about that and that kind of Trinitarian? Yeah, I think I think for imaging. most of us, yeah, yeah, sorry. I mean, I, I think most of us who are in Protestant churches, when we think about icons of the Trinity, we think about Rublev's icon, which is, mm-hmm. in fact, an icon of this moment, of these in these angelic visitors, these men who show up outside Abraham's tent and are given hospitality from him, right? So in, in that image, there is there is this sense in which we're being invited to the table. I mean, it's often interpreted that way, right? That mm-hmm. the, the angels are there representing the Father, Son, and Spirit who are inviting us to the table. But in the text itself here, Abraham is the one who sets the table for them. Right. So we're, we, and I think, of course, ultimately both are true. We'll say more about that in a moment. But the emphasis here is on the hospitality shown to the Lord and his entourage or to the Trinity, depending on how you read these three figures, right? So do you read them as figures of the the Trinity or is this the Lord flanked with angels or, I mean, they're obviously this has been read in different ways in the Christian tradition and in the Jewish tradition for that matter. But the, the key is Abraham shows hospitality, right? That he, mm-hmm. he leaps up and rushes to make sure they're cared for and, and more than cared for, right? He doesn't just simply offer water. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. He's, he's begging them not to pass by. Yeah, it's exorbitant, right? There, there's, a, there's a way in which he, it's an excessive, it's an overflow of gift. There's a prodigality to the, to the giving. And that this, this is somehow tied to what it means for Abraham to be a man of faith, right? And I think in the big picture, what's, you know, Abraham is a man who late in, relatively late in his life, gets called out of his father's house, gets called out into a future that he cannot define for himself. And I think that that kind of nomadic wayfaring way of life attunes him to be hospitable, hospitable to those who are wayfaring, right? To be, to be hospitable to those people who are on their way. He knows, he knows from hard experience that you rarely meet with this kind of kindness. And so he, I think he's learned from what he what he himself has not received to to offer it to others. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Mm. And that, if we can, if you're all right with it, I want to move from that to the gospel because okay. I think I think we see that two different ways of understanding that playing out with these two sisters, right? So. We're, we're, we're all, as I said, already deeply familiar with this text, right? Jesus enters a certain village. He and the disciples are on their way, right? So we've got that image of, of journeying, of wayfaring. And they, you know, these are, as those men in Genesis, these men are poor wayfaring strangers. 
They show up in this certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomes him into her home. Now, part of what you see right away is that this is an unusual family, right? That Martha is the one who welcomes him. We saw in the Abraham story, Abraham is the man of the house, right? Mm -hmm. And Sarah remains in the tent, even though the promise is for her as well as for him. She remains back in the tent. But this is Martha's house. And she has a sister named Mary who is sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to what he's saying, right? So what what we get here is Jesus is invited in by Martha. It's her house. When he's inside, Mary is there and Jesus is talking and, and Mary is listening. And Martha, the translation I have at least, is that Martha is distracted by many tasks. So she's, she's busy with the work of the moment. And mm-hmm. again, remember what's happening in, in Genesis 18, right? Abraham is not simply you know, grabbing a, a glass of water from the sink, right? I mean, this is a, an ordeal. Right? The, right. There's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. Hours of work in, you know, in this moment. Bodies rushing here and there to make sure that this guest is given optimal care, optimal hospitality. And, and Martha's caught up in that, right? She's, she's carried along by the need of the moment, the need to make sure Jesus receives the same kind of lavish attention that Abraham had shown those three men in the beginning. And so, so Martha is, in a, in a very real way, following the letter of the law, right? She's, she's keeping to the story of Abraham. And, but not, when I say keeping the letter of the law, I don't mean that she's doing it in some servile way or in, in, in a heartless way. Right. She is, I think, electric, too. She's dashing here and there to make sure Jesus has, you know, the fatted calf and the the cool milk and the best cheese and fresh bread and is a bit put off. Right. By the fact that Mary is not setting Jesus concerns first. And so she she actually speaks to Jesus, not to Mary. And I think that's a an astoundingly important point in this text, right? That when Martha is offended, she doesn't speak to Mary, at least not in this text. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. Before I, before I say anything, what do you make of that? What do you make of the fact that, that Martha doesn't lash out at her sister, at least again, at least in the text, what she does well, I mean, ask the Lord, do you not care? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I Maybe I'm just revealing too much. It it, it feels a little bit, um, it's not what I would want. I mean, if, if I'm there with my sibling, like, talk to me. You don't need to, you don't need to call me out in front of Jesus. I mean, I don't know that it's, I mean, maybe she does pull him aside, right? Maybe it's not in front of her, but. But I mean, I guess thinking about it differently, it seems it seems important that she takes that she takes the concern to Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I don't know. What what strikes me about it is when the if you're reading this story without assuming you already know it, one of the things that's striking is we're introduced to these women, Mary and Martha. 
as if we don't already know them, and as if Jesus does not already know them, right? They come into a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomes mm, right. him into her house. I mean, that doesn't sound like an old friendship, right? It doesn't say Jesus seeks out Mary and Martha, or Martha and yeah. Sister Mary. But given the fact that Mary is sitting listening to him, this suggests that they're past any kind of formalities. They're, they're not simply greeting one another like this is a, a kind, he's teaching right he's reflecting and almost certainly he's teaching mary right? it could be that he's teaching others and she's overhearing listening but he is he does it does seem that he is teaching not just you know commenting on the weather i don't know if jesus did small talk but this doesn't seem like a small talk moment Mm-mm. and when Martha speaks to him, she speaks to him as an intimate. Because the question she asks is, do you not care about me? That's right. Yeah, that's astounding. So we often tell this story, not, not without reason. I mean, there, there's a long history here and other texts about Mary and Martha and Lazarus that cast this a little in a little bit different light. But just the text that's in front of us, we often assume that Martha is angry with Mary because Mary is not caring for her. But it's not so much that. It's not that Martha is perturbed with Mary, although I think that's true. It's that Martha is grieved with Jesus for not caring for her. Yeah. It's much more personal than... So it's not... I guess the point I want to make is that it's not a petty rivalry between sisters. Which is exactly how it... I mean, that, that is the way... The primary way it's it was read for me growing up that it, yeah, that it was it was petty this like this intimacy do you not care about me Lord was I think was lost at least it was lost on me yeah and I think I mean that should remind us you know what what the disciples say in the boat when the storms are raging Lord do you not care that we are drowning right the but and so it what it shows then the way that Mary is listening and the way that Martha is talking suggests deep intimacy with Jesus. So is this a case in which this connection happens immediately, right? That somehow he shows up and they're strangers, but immediately fall into this deep friendship? Or is this a case in which it seems to the to outsiders that Jesus is simply randomly showing up at this house, but they actually already share a history? Re- regardless, I think... If you look at everything Martha says, she assumes that Jesus does care for her. Right? Do you not care? Well, then tell her to help me. Right? Precisely because she believes that Jesus cares, she's, she's grieved, but she's honest enough with him to say, listen, you're acting like you don't care about me. I need you to, I need you to show it and tell her to help me. Tell her right. to help me. Right? And it may be that what's happening here is not simply hospitality for Jesus, but for people who've come with Jesus, obviously the disciples, but others who are coming to receive care for him or from him, including Lazarus, including their brother, who is an odd character because he's the man in the house, but he's not the man of the house. Right. And he never speaks in these texts, which may be a suggestion that he's not well, Mm -hmm. that, or that he's in some way disabled. 
or I guess perhaps that also that he's very young. Regardless, he isn't speaking. Martha is the one who feels responsibility, not just for Jesus, but for Jesus' retinue and for the strangers who've crowded around the doors and windows to hear what he's teaching. And she wants him to release Mary to help her in that in that work. And I think, you know, Christians and, and Jewish readers from the time these texts were written have have fastened on this story as symbolic of kind of different ways of life. And I mean, Origen, for example, you know, says Martha is like Jews or like Christians who come from among the Jews or Christians who still think and act in ways that are of the letter and not of the spirit. And Mary is spiritual and may is either representative of Christians who are more contemplative or representative of Jews who recognize the truth of God in ways that even other Christians cannot. And he says that they, these two sisters kind of represent the ways of action and contemplation. And Martha is concerned about the things in the world, and Mary is a person of prayer who, who gives her attention to God. So at least since that time, you know, Jews and Christians have read this text as, you know, more than a biographical detail about some people Jesus met on the way. I think it's interesting though, the ways in which we've misread it. It's really instructive. Mm -hmm. And as, as you said a moment ago, that we've just assumed this is a spat between sisters rather than a wound for Martha because of what she thinks of what she thinks she has with Jesus, right? Because of the intimacy she thinks she has with him. What do you think? What do you think that kind of gap in our reading reveals? Well, I mean, you won't be surprised to hear me say, I mean, I, I think we're really bad readers, like really, really, really bad readers. And it's, there's a kind of irony here, right? In that, the more we talk about scripture, the higher we praise the nature of scripture, the less we seem to care about actually attending to what it says, right? The, we, we've nurtured people in many of our churches here. When I say we, I'm talking about kind of middle America, Protestant Christianity, evangelicalism in the broadest sense. We've, we've nurtured people who are biblicists, but don't actually take much time to read what the texts say in yeah. part because we're familiarized with these stories in cheap lessons and, and sermons that move too quickly over the details. And so we lose touch with what is actually happening on the page, you know, what, what is actually exchanged. And then the more familiar we are with those kinds of, dumbed down, cheapened versions of these stories, the harder it is for us to see past them. So as soon as we hear Mary and Martha, you know, the loop starts playing in our head. Oh, we know how the right. story goes, right? We, yeah. know, we know what happens here. Right. Okay. So not to lose this, this thread, this theme here of, of hospitality, how does this Colossians text then kind of inform all of this? Yeah, I, I think the key lines are that Jesus is the one in whom all things hold together and the one 
who has reconciled all things in himself. So what you have in the Mary and Martha story, right, are, are kind of ways of being, ways of being the people of God that diverge from each other because we have different sets of concerns. Mm-hmm. And I want to stress this point, not that Martha is busy with tasks and therefore has no deep intimacy with Jesus. Her deep intimacy with Jesus is being carried out while she does her tasks. And this is why like Meister Eckhart, um, Ephraim the Syrian, Augustine in his own way. I mean, these different Christian readers have noticed Martha is in many ways clearly the more mature person because she's able to pray and work and to work while she prays and to pray while she's working. Whereas Mary has kind of abandoned all that for the moment to attend to Jesus. And what's striking is that Jesus defends Mary in that moment, right? And does not rebuke Martha. And it's easy to hear it. I mean, what he says is, Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted about many things or by many things. But Mary, but there is need of only one thing. And Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. So the, I want to say more about that in a moment. Don't let me forget. But I think what what we see in Jesus, what Colossians is giving us, is a way of thinking about Jesus as the one who integrates the Mary way and the Martha way of living so that the sisters find each other and find each other in ways that are life-giving for all those Jesus brings near to them. Like their home becomes, uh, like Abraham's tent, a place of encounter, a place where the promise is spoken. Mm Mm-hmm. And Jesus integrates all of that, right? And we we often, you know, this I don't want to go too far down this rabbit trail, but I, I do think it's an important point to make. We're, our preaching is often moralistic, right? So we read stories like Abraham and Mary and Martha, and we, we stress, oh, we need to be more hospitable, or we need to be more contemplative, or we need to stop worrying about the things of the world and give ourselves to prayer. But really what has to happen is we have to recognize the ways in which Christ holds all that together, that he is the, the one in whom all things were made and for whom all things were made. And if we don't have a theological grasp, and I don't mean a merely academic one, if we don't have a vision of who Jesus is animating the way that we read these stories and the way that we hear the stories speaking to us, we're going to slide into some kind of performance. We're going to slide into performing one thing or another, thinking that that's what's required of us. But first and foremost, we we need to recognize who it is who is speaking to us, who it is that is present to us, and how he has accomplished the reconciliation of all things. And I, I think the... Mm, man. Both Abraham and Mary in this moment recognize the truth of the moment. Martha has a deep intimacy with Jesus. It's not that her heart isn't in it. It's not mm-hmm. that she's simply a legalist who's caught up with externals. Yeah. She, she is, she's deeply, deeply in love with Jesus. I mean, he is her friend. That's the only, that's the reason it hurts, but she does seem to misread what this moment is. Right. That, that, that she precisely because of her care for him, she gets carried away by her care for him into things that aren't essential in this moment. So when we're when we're preaching this moralistically, 
we end up leaving people in, I think, deep confusion about, well, what, which is it, right? Do, do we need to take right. care of our neighbors or do we need to love God? I mean, and so much of this nonsense about, you know, the gospel is about you and God. It has nothing to do with, quote unquote, social justice. Like th- that way of thinking sets Mary and Martha in opposition and yeah. tells us we must choose Mary every time. I mean, right. Pentecostals in particular, I think, are some of the worst in the world about staying on our knees, sitting in our seats when we should be up in the kitchen. Right. I mean, yeah. we're this is not some kind of principle for life. Like, forget about what needs to be done. Just pray or just listen to the text. But it is to say, in this moment, you have to recognize that listening takes precedence, that that listening and attending is at the heart of what's required by this instant that has arrived. And I, I think at least that's only possible if we're attending to Jesus, right? With that kind of looking up and seeing that Abraham did, right? Where our our eyes are turned elsewhere, right? Where we're we're looking we're looking to the one who tells us what's real and how how reality works. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't want to belabor this point. I know I know we kind of want to wrap this up, but I, there's just something here, and I feel like I'm I'm, I'm getting it, but I, I need to I need to kind of wrap my mind around it a little bit more. Could you just go a little bit further with this point? I mean, what you're saying because that that resonates with me. That tendency to want to teach this stuff or talk about or hear these stories when you read them more holistically. I need to be more hospitable. I need to attend. Um, you know, I need to just sit with Jesus. I need to just pray more, you know, whatever it is. But but you're saying um, we need to attend to who it is that's there. Just, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, there's I mean, something that's resonant with me here, even about like Bonhoeffer, that question of like who. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Who we're talking about. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, and I think this is why, you know, that hymn, so-called Christ hymn in Colossians 1, the New Testament reading for the week, like we, we have to come back to that over and over and over again and not grasp it in some merely academic sense, but truly internalize it, like bring that the bring it to our mind and then bring our mind down into our heart so that it can reach our body mm-hmm. and recognize that in him all of this is integrated. Right, that that this he is out of him comes both the spirit of Martha and the spirit of Mary, the spirit of of listening and the spirit of speaking. Right. So you mentioned Bonifer, you know, in his life together. Right. He starts with the day alone, the day together. Mm-hmm. In when he talks about ministry, he says we must know how to hold our tongues, we must know how to listen, and we must know how to speak. And so all of that is integrated in Jesus. And what I'm arguing is that when we read these texts, when we're trying to to disciple others or to be ourselves discipled, and we're not keeping our attention on Jesus, Mm -hmm. we will end up taking one way or another, right? And either moralizing it or spiritualizing it in ways that are divisive, in ways that divide us. Yeah, And the, the fact of the matter is, Jesus is not saying once for all, always, mm-hmm. you should sit and listen and never mm-hmm. speak or sit and listen and never put your hand to anything in the kitchen. 
Obviously, that's not true. The love of God and the love of neighbor are not at odds with each other, right? Mm -hmm. To love God is to love your neighbor. You're right. a loving God in loving your neighbor. What you do to yeah. the least of these, you do to me. But in this particular moment, in this particular moment, there is a way in which Martha has been carried away. And I want to stress the point. She's carried away because she cares for Jesus. Yeah. She's not carried away because she's vain. She's not carried away because she's a legalist or, or you know, um, concerned about her image. She cares for him. And she's hurt that he's not reciprocating that in this moment. And he's saying to her, no, 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 there's one thing needed. And, it, you know, of course, it's important that he calls her name twice, Martha, Martha. There's, mm -hmm. there's need of one thing. And then he says, Mary has chosen the better part. Now, I think this is the key. How, if there's only one thing, how can you have a better part? Better implies there, there's something, something good, else. Yep. something else that's good, just not best. And I think the answer is because of the integration we see in him. He holds all mm -hmm. things together and there's one thing that's needed. And right. what's needed is the full integration of all good things, right? That in Jesus, all good opposites coincide, right? Because yeah. he's the uncreated one who is a creature. He's God living this human life divinely, living the divine life humanly. All things are integrated in him and held mm -hmm. together. All good opposites coincide. And he has taken all the things that are opposed to God and turned them for the good. Precisely so, the one thing that's needed has good and better aspects. Has good and better aspects. And Martha is being distracted away from that, away even from the, the parts of her work in the kitchen that need to be carried out because she's offended or worried about the ways in which Mary is going to fail to care for Jesus, right? So I think, I think what's happening here is Martha is feeling like she wants to give Jesus her best. And if Mary doesn't help, she won't be able to give Jesus her best. Right. And therefore, Jesus will be disappointed in her because Mary didn't do her part. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 Martha, no. Right. Mary has chosen what is best. Yeah. Chosen the better part, the better aspect of this one integrated reality in that she, her listening to me is the way in which she is showing hospitality to me. And her listening is drawing out of me the word that is feeding all of these other people, right? That Mary is listening in a way that's not self-absorbed, mm -hmm. but it's drawing out of Jesus the, you know, the ways in which, you know, Jesus says he can be touched and he knows that he's been touched, that grace has come out of him, right? In the King James language, virtue has departed from me, right? Right. I think there's a way of attending to Jesus, of listening, that actually draws grace for people around us. It's not just Mary who's being cared for here. The disciples, the people from the streets who've gathered at the windows and door, like they're being touched by watching Mary listen to Jesus. And mm. Martha needs to be returned to that. Needs to be returned to that. And she can while she goes on doing her work. Like she, Jesus is not saying, you stop and sit down and listen. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Just saying, point. go on about your work in a way that, is touched by this attentiveness that Mary is giving me. And when you Man. do that, that integrates yeah. them. That Then you become, then you're sharing in the reality that Christ himself is. Wow. 
we got to wrap it up, but I think I think for, you get the you get the point. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and for you and for our friend Father Bill, if everyone in my house wasn't asleep right now, I would be shouting you down. Um, and I mean, just another point to this integration, because I do hear a lot of the Christian life talked about in terms of balance. Yes, yes, balance this or that, but God's life is lively. It, it's it's dynamic. It's not a it's not a balancing act, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it, exactly. It's a movement of from fullness to fullness, from grace to grace, not from less to more, and certainly not some kind of balancing of more and less in a you know a golden mean. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is it is God is all in all, right? Not the middle of everything, mm-hmm. and. I think it's important too that Jesus says that this cannot be taken away from Mary. This this way of listening, this kind of attention, cannot be taken away. That you can lose your ability to do the work that you think you need to do for me. But what cannot be taken from you is the openness to me. Hmm. And in that way, attentiveness, like what Abraham. So all that Abraham did, you know, when he leapt up and ran out. All that Abraham did was good, but the best thing he did was simply notice mm-hmm. and let that carry him out. Let that electric current carry him out into work. But that he noticed is the key, right? And that that kind of attention is only possible as the integrated Christ is at work in us, right? In, Gal- in the language of Galatians, when Christ is living in us, the the integrated one is being integrated into us and growing up in us, then we start to notice these things. And under the right circumstances, when we have the strength for it, we can then do what Martha did, which is out of our care for him, do the work of ministry. But the essential thing is the attentiveness, right? And when we lose that ability, and, and we do, I mean, in various ways. I mean, I'm living it right now. I think all of us live it in one way or another, much of our lives where we, we can't do all the things we want to do. And it's easy at that point to start to blame the people around us for not coming through with us so we can do the things we want to do for God. And the key is to recognize that the better part, the better aspect of this one integrated reality that is Jesus life in us is is to simply listen, to, to attend, to notice. So I, I know we need to end this, but let me let me ask you my question. What's what's the good news here? I, I think the good news is that Jesus can help us notice our own lives differently. I mean, there's a lot of good news, endless good news. But just like I think we easily misread Martha and Mary, we often misread ourselves that way. I mean, I know so many people who think of themselves as Martha's. And what they mean by that is, you know, I'm not nearly as prayerful, not nearly as spiritual, not nearly, I don't love Jesus nearly enough. You know, I'm too yeah, too concerned about the day-to-day work of keeping my kids alive or my husband alive or myself alive. Right. And there's just no shame here. I mean, Jesus is in no way mm. shaming Martha or or calling her to task. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's not asking her to leave the kitchen 
or to leave whatever work she is doing. I mean, th the text doesn't even say that she's in the kitchen, right? It's She's distracted with many things. Who knows? For all we know, she's making all kinds of political decisions for the community, right? We, we I don't know what all she's doing, but whatever she's doing, Jesus doesn't say she has to quit any of it. It's just she has to, to carry that out in a non-distracted way, right? Not carried along by anxiety, but attentive to the one who's present to her and in, mm -hmm. in her home. And I, I think a lot of us need to hear that, right? That there's, there's no shame in being Martha. We want to be both Mary and Martha. That's the goal. Yeah. We want to integrate them. Hmm. Man. Well, thanks, Chris. I, I love doing this. Yeah. Thank you for doing it. I'm glad, I'm glad you were able to make, make time for it and I'm glad you didn't get too noisy. I don't want to wake Ollie up or, or Katie and hopefully we'll be able to do it next week and not have to wait a couple more months. Yes, please. Let's do that, man. It's been a Appreciate joy. It, brother. I'll All see right. you soon. Okay. All right. See you friend. Bye.